going to talk about the words authority and submission today. And I think those are words that we would rather get around. They're not very popular words in our culture. Let me give you an example. Our speed limit, let's say you're on the freeway at a particular spot at 65 miles per hour. But you know in your mind, I know I can drive 74 through here, right? Nine, you're fine. Ten, you're mine. That kind of, those little cliches. And we know we can get around those authorities and be all right. I find that the 25 mile per hour roads are really torture. We know better, right? We know better what the speed limit should be. I think we have a problem submitting to authorities. But listen to this. And it comes from a verse we're going to read. When I submit to authority, I meet God. And when I don't, I oppose God, and his judgment is upon me. Let's look at Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So what are the authorities? What are the levels of authorities? Let's look at that today. Here's the first. Sovereign authority. Sovereign authority. That is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That authority should never be challenged. Now let me give you some great verses that we're going to read through. We're going to put those up on the screen. These are tremendous verses that, that show forth sovereign authority. First from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Daniel 4, 34-35. At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? From Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should die. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one more, Revelation 19, 16. Speaking of Jesus, at his second coming, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We read those verses, and shockingly enough, angels and men have tried to prescribe this level of authority for themselves. We have an account of Satan in the Old Testament 
God's highest ranking angel who tried to usurp God's authority. We read that in Isaiah 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Boy, what do we hear over and over again there? I will. But he was defeated and cast to earth, where now he tempts human beings to do the same thing today. His lie is that you can become like God. Be the ultimate authority for your life. Genesis 3.5, we see him at work. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. These are Satan's words to Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God's clear command, and thus we have the fall of man, where all human beings are born in sin and need a Savior. But the proof of this isn't just from Scripture, it's right before our eyes. Just look at every baby or toddler. From the moment of birth, the baby sits out to establish the kingdom of self. He wants to be sovereign. And he seeks to command the love and services of others around him for his pleasure. Inevitably, his sovereignty is challenged by others seeking to assert their absolute sovereignty. But thus begins the lifelong crusade of the child to establish the kingdom of self over others. In Matthew 20, 20 through 23, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. So we see this mom wanted to raise her two sons, James and John, to the sovereign level of authority. And the story continues down below the next verses that the other disciples were mad at James and John for this level of authority reaching. But why were they so mad? I think they were mad because they didn't think of it first. And they were just simply beaten to the punch. God alone is sovereign. He is king. He is ruler. He's in charge. He's in control. He is the creator of all things. And as the creator, he has the right to demand from his subjects whatever he wants. And the sooner we realize that and submit under his authority, the better it will be for us. Let's look at the second level of authority. Voracious authority. Voracious authority. We'll leave that up there a minute if you're getting the spelling of that. It's from the Latin word veritas, which means truth. That word truth means accurate and precise, adheres to reality, habitually conforms to the facts. Let's just take a math example. Two plus two equals four. We don't need to debate that. We don't need to argue that. That's settled mathematics. But the main object of voracious authority in the universe really is the Bible. 
the Word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is the truth, penned the exact words that God wanted in the Holy Bible. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we Christians don't need to apologize for our firm stance that we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Because everyone has a true source that they rely on, even the atheists. We hold that the Word of God is a higher authority than our own thoughts and imaginations and experiences. We weigh our thoughts and experiences against the truth of the Word of God. So that's why we need to read the Word of God daily and apply it to our lives. I love to read through the whole Bible in a year because you get an oversight in the entire book, the redemption story. From beginning to end, you get that 30,000 view look. But I like to study smaller sections of the Bible, just to take a paragraph or even a verse and just really meditate on that. Believing in doing truth. When I go against the clear teaching of Scripture, I'm always in the wrong. It doesn't matter if it feels right or what culture says is right, it's what the Word of God says is right. The Westminster Confession, written in England in the 1600s, says, Nothing contrary to Scripture can be true, and nothing in addition to Scripture is binding. Every believer, then, has the responsibility to search the Scriptures for himself or herself, to show that they are true. An example of that is Paul and Silas, when they were preaching in Greece, they came to a little town of Berea. And listen to what it says of the Berean Christians in Acts 17.11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is the Apostle Paul preaching to them. And they still were searching the scriptures, not just taking what Paul said at face value. I like that. They were challenging Paul's authority. They were looking and obeying a higher authority than even Paul, the Word of God. Galatians 1.8 says, But even if we, Paul, say this, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let it be accursed. The Word of God is above angels. The Word of God is above spiritual experiences. An angel appears to you and tells you something. You weigh it against the Word of God. The Bible is your authority source for all your decisions in life, all areas of life. We are to obey it because it's a very high level of authority. The third level of authority is the authority of conscience. The authority of conscience. God puts an innate sense of right or wrong in everyone. Let's just imagine if there was no God and evolution was true, then there would be no altruism. Altruism is where you sacrifice yourself, even to the point of death, for someone else. Why would you do that if survival of the fittest 
was the law you were under. You would never do that. But the cross of Jesus Christ proves evolution is false alone. Because we see the altruism there. The Holy One of God dying for us in our sin. So, we see that there are moral absolutes. And we have this sense that there are moral absolutes. Or, we shouldn't be mad if someone steals something from me. Why should I be mad if there's no moral absolutes? I'm only mad because I have this innate sense that it's wrong for someone to steal from me. We sense within that the golden rule is true and accurate. Matthew 7.12 So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Who wants to be unfairly taken advantage of? No one. So that's why we don't do that. We, we treat other people good and right like we want to be treated. We have that innate sense. Even unbelievers have that sense. Because of conscience. Romans chapter 2 gives a great study on conscience. Skeptics are always asking, how can God condemn someone who's never heard? Well, he doesn't. Look at Romans 2, 12 to 14. I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible Translation. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they've never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. God puts a conscience inside every person that they know there's a God. They know instinctively what He demands. That to treat people cruelly and with violence is wrong. And to treat people well is right and what honors God. So for the Christian, conscience is also important. We won't do the things that hurt other people and hurt ourselves. Because we have that inner feeling, just about we're to do this wrong thing, that I shouldn't do that. That's our conscience that God has put in us. Don't let us don't do that. But let's say there's an area of freedom. The Bible does not forbid doing something, but still my conscience says, don't do it. That's not right. I have a guilty conscience about it, that I shouldn't do it. Now, for me, I'll give you an example. It's drinking alcohol. The Bible doesn't forbid drinking alcohol. What it forbids is drunkenness. But for me, drinking alcohol is sinful. It's wrong for me. Maybe because I abused it before I became a Christian. And I don't trust what it might do to me if I got back into it. And also as a pastor, I'm concerned about if someone would see me at the bar drinking what it might do to their conscience, so I don't want them to stumble and fall. Whatever your conscience forbids you to do, don't do it. Because if you don't do that thing in faith, to you it is sin. Romans 14.23 says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Conscience applies to all areas of our life, to the legal and political realm. An employer should not force employees to do things that violate their conscience. For instance, maybe take a vaccine. 
and they don't believe, and they don't have a good conscience about taking it. Or I know a friend personally who quit his job after he became a Christian because his job required taking high-end clients out to wine and dine them and then take them to strip clubs and so forth. And after he became a Christian, he said, I can't do that any longer. And his employer still demanded that he do that, so he quit. Doctors should be forced to do an abortion. Here we have an example in Scripture in Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. They're saying this to the governing authorities who were telling them, Don't preach Christ. And they suffered for doing that because they said they would violate God's clear command. They would violate the word of God, which told them to preach and their own conscience. If they would have remained quiet, they would have violated those levels of authority. Well, let's look at the fourth level of authority. Delegated authority. This is the first level that humans have a legitimate right to. Delegated authority. Let, let's start with government. Governmental authorities. Let's go back to Romans 13 and read that extended text. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. When you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We have God, we have the king, and we have subjects. It's similar to the triune nature of God. God has designed the social spheres of life according to his nature. So when we submit to and obey God's will and these governing authorities, we submit to God's nature and ways. But our flesh hates to submit. We think it's bad, but it's not. Here's an example, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Christ here voluntarily submits to God. So submission is a good thing. Christ is God, yet he voluntarily submits. 1 Peter 2, 13-14 Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Peter's sounding very similar to what Paul said in Romans 13. So just because I don't like a particular political party, 
isn't an excuse to rebel against that political party in office. Just because I disagree with a particular president's policies, which I can't disagree with, but I can still respect the office. Think about Paul's day. The Roman Empire was in power. The Caesars were ruling. That they were as ungodly and corrupt as you can imagine. Yet Paul did not tell them in Romans 13, rebel against the authorities. Don't do what they say. Reject them. In fact, Paul used his Roman citizenship to his advantage when he was put in jail. And when he could no longer follow it and had to preach Christ and disagree with it, he accepted the punishment of that government and died by its hand. If the government commands you to do what violates God's clear word, God's authority, and your conscience, you do have to say, no, I can't follow this peacefully. That's called civil disobedience. And then you accept the consequences of that government. We have examples of that all over the place in the Bible. Just the two quick ones. Daniel, the law was don't pray to anyone other than the king. He continued to pray to his God. He was arrested, thrown in the lion's den, and God delivered him. The three Hebrew children, also in that story of the book of Daniel, bowed down and worshipped the image made to the emperor. They are the king. They refused to do that. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Civil disobedience. You accept the consequences if you don't obey. Another sphere of influence in the social realm is the home. Listen to what it says in Colossians 3, 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, we see God's Trinitarian nature here. Husband, wife, children, equal in worth, equal before Christ, but different roles. The husband is designed by God to be the spiritual leader of the home, and the wife voluntarily chooses to yield to that headship. Is this submitting bad? No, it's not bad at all. It's being Christ-like. The world now will tell you, that's bad, don't do that. But the Bible, God knows what works best in the home. And then the last social sphere is the church. Let's read some verses there. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. These Bible writers are saying, as we submit to our spiritual authorities, those that God has delegated church leadership over us because they care for our souls, we do well. And I have to admit that there is less respect for clergy just across the board. And most of it is because of abuses and failures of clergy. 
But the ministry is not a dictatorship. It is for service to others, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So what do we see in this realm of delegated authorities? Government. We see home and church authorities who are set in place by God to reflect his nature. So a great question is, who is my authority? To whom can I obey? When I do, I need God. And when I don't, I'm far from God and come under his judgment. And the final level of authority we're going to look at is functional authority. Functional authority. And this one was the most intriguing level of all to me. This authority comes from one's gifts and abilities rather than necessarily their position and titles. Let's uh, look at a couple of verses on this. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good or a spiritual gift to each Christian. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, but all things be done for building up. And Proverbs 18, 16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. So I see the gifting of my fellow Christians, and then I can come under and submit to their authority that particular gift that I don't have. Let me use an example. You're driving along, you come on a, a car crash, it looks pretty serious, and there are three people standing nearby. A doctor, a mechanic, and a police officer. So who do I want to call upon to tend to the injured person? The doctor. Who do I take the damaged wrecked car to to fix? The mechanic. And who do we want to get to reroute the traffic so it moves and flows smoothly again? The police officer. You see, each one has their gifts and abilities that they use in that particular circumstance, and, and we submit to those particular gifts as needed. So each one of us, you, have gifts from God and abilities from God that God wants you to use. And so that's where the church flows and functions and works its best when everyone is flowing in their gift. I'm going to close with a story from the Bible that shows all five levels of authority, just in one short passage, very interesting passage. It's Acts 23, 1 to 5. We'll look at the passage and then I'll just make a few brief comments. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil 
I'm a ruler of your people. So in verse 1, Paul says that he's lived his life in all good conscience. Level 3. He preached, used his gift, level 5, and lived his life before God, who is a sovereign authority, level 1. In verse 2, the priest, high priest, commands those near Paul to strike him. That's level four, delegated authority. So these people obey the delegated authority of the high priest. In verse three, Paul is angry, as we would be if we were struck, and he calls the high priest a hypocrite. He appeals to the law, to scripture, to level two, that having the high priest strike him is wrong according to the scripture. In verse four, the bystanders reprove Paul for insulting the high priest. They say that he violated level three, not respecting the delegated authorities. So in verse five, Paul apologizes, and he quotes scripture, which is level two, that he should have submitted even to the injustice that he received toward himself. So who can I submit to? Who is or who are my authorities in my life? When I submit to them and come under them, I come under the blessing and the will of God. And when I resist and don't, I come under God's displeasure. Let's pray. Well, thank you again for your word. As it is Independence Day, we think about our country, and we think about our governing authorities, and we maybe don't like this stuff. And we want to rebel against it. But Lord, your word gives us good instruction on how to go about living our lives in the home, in the church, and in the world. Lord, we come under your authority as God. You alone are right and true and have the right to, to command whatever you want to your creation. And we thank you today for your word and for our conscience, which helps guide us. Lord, we thank you and we love you, Lord want to be in a good place with you, that we might have your blessing as individuals, as a church, as a nation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.